It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> This is Reasons to be Cheerful, live. Welcome to the stage, Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Hello. This is the 100th episode of Reasons to be Cheerful, and we are at Abbey Road Studio. Good whooping, good whooping. It's, it's that exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. Um, very kindly, Universal Music got in touch with us and said, would you like to do an episode from Abbey Road? And, and for me, I'm trying to think what the equivalent would be for you, because I'm such a huge Good music and, and specifically a Beatles fan. This is, yeah. this is Mecca for me. This is the, what would, the, what would the, what would the, I don't know. What was that restaurant where Tony Blair and Gordon Granita? That's yeah. true. But it's, it's it been, doesn't exist anymore, no, but that's just, really interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Or, or maybe. Or that place I ate the bacon sandwich, maybe, you know. <laughs> Uh, maybe if less you so. become prime uh, minister, would you have had that place demolished? Definitely, De- definitely, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's uh, Granitas. I think it would be. Um, I'm not sure you'd want to do a podcast live from Granitas. So. No, no. We'll save no. that for the 200th episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it is, it's just incredible to be here. I don't know how many uh, people who are with us tonight have been inside Studio Two before, but it's 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 extreme. Who's been rare. inside Studio Two? I think there's a few people who work here. Yeah, right. Okay. So, <laughs> It'd be bad if they yeah, hadn't yeah, been inside, yeah. actually. Um, but it, it's an incredible room. It's an incredible building. Abbey Road. Give us a little bit of the old, because you're, a, you're an aficionado. Give I am. Us- so, so Abbey Road Studios has been open since 1931. Do you know who the first artist to play here was? Bing Crosby. Edward Elgar. Really? Yeah. So I think in the early days, they would record a lot of orchestras here. Um, the, what is acknowledged to be the first British rock and roll record, which is Move It by Cliff Richard. That was recorded in, in Abbey Road. Um, but it was, it was 1962. The Beatles came here to perform their audition for George Martin. And this, this, these studios and specifically this room, this was the home of the Beatles. This is where they did the lion's share of their work. We're very, here's, here's a 
thing that always surprises me about this place whenever I've been lucky enough to come here. There's just stuff lying around that should be in display cases. Really? Yeah, look, there's a piano over there at the back that yeah. the Beatles used, I think, on F- Fool on the Hill and Penny Lane and numerous. Wow. It's, just, it's just there in the corner. You're gonna, do people like might we, wander off and start trying to play it or something. <laughs> do you want to? No, I think I okay. could not, but you could play it maybe. Yeah, but I mean, you could just, you know, if, if we, we could maybe try and hoik that out at the end of the night. <laughs> I think anybody would notice. I think they might notice. I think of me and you walking down the road. It with would piano. look suspicious, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, it a, bit would. ch- a bit Chuckle Brothers-y. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, so, and so George Martin used George to, Martin would be up there in the control yeah. room. The Beatles would be down here. They'd have their roadies, Neil and Mal, fetching things for them. But that incredible body of work that was recorded between 1962 and 1970 most of it was done in here but it wasn't just the Beatles uh, Pink Floyd recorded a lot of their early stuff here in more recent times Florence the Machine Adele Oasis it's a working studio and um, this this is this if you could be a tour guide can I just say <laughs> I never realized this about you you okay. could be you've got the natural you're a tour guide natural I could, I could do with the work to be honest yeah exactly <laughs> I mean this, this can't th- keep going forever maybe, maybe you could maybe you could do like the House of Commons well, I don't know, actually, but uh, maybe you could do like the House of Commons tour guide. Yeah, I, you once gave me a tour of the House that of Commons. That was terrible, was, You were it? terrible. It was, it was embarrassing. It was. It was embarrassingly bad. So who's that statue of? No idea. Yeah, no, yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, so we, we should talk about what we're going to be talking about on this special episode. We're going to be talking about music in schools and music education in schools, which I think is an incredibly important um, subject uh, because, not just because the kind of Lennon and McCartney of the future will, you know, either be produced or not produced, depending on whether there's music in in schools, but because of all of the other benefits that musical education in schools has. And the truth is, I'm afraid, music education in schools uh, has been faring badly in the last few years. As we're going to hear, a combination of cuts and something called the EBAC, which has sort of downgraded subjects like music. Uh, I'm afraid it's had a pretty bad effect. But but uh, the good news is that we've got answers, which is, you know, and, and definitely reasons to be cheerful. We're going to be talking to Jimmy Rotherham, who is a music, and honestly, this is an amazing story. He He's a music coordinator at Feversham Primary Academy in Bradford, and he's going to be telling us what he has done, which is truly remarkable in terms of how he has facilitated the turnaround of a school. And Deborah Annette, who's chief executive of the Incorporated Society of Musicians. And there are solutions out there. And we're going to be joined by one of my favorite actors. She used to be in a band called Slow Club, and now she has, has cast that off and she has become self-esteem. It's Rebecca Lucy Taylor. Also, Katie Tunstall. And as a special treat, if my tour guiding skills weren't enough. Which they were good. But this, this man knows yeah. this place inside out. Uh, you mentioned his dad before, George Martin, who uh, produced all those great Beatles records. And now he is the custodian of the Beatles catalogue. And he's overseen all the, uh, the, the remixes and reissues of the Beatles stuff. And he, uh, he most, he's a very busy producer as well. I mean, it's amazing that he's got time for us tonight. But he most recently did the soundtrack to Rocket Man. Giles Martin is going to be joining us later. So I thought with this has been in this iconic musical location I could ask you about the first record you ever bought and then I Shit. sort of panicked has Ed ever bought a record yeah, is what I wondered I think I'm sure I did <laughs> <laughs> trying to remember what's the first record you ever bought it, it was uh, I remember being taken to a record shop in Macclesfield called BJ's and um, and ordering uh, a record uh, video called the radio star 
I think it might have been Pink Floyd, actually. That's too cool for you. That doesn't, that doesn't ring true with me. See, I'm just making it up. It sounds like it, yeah. Yeah, you think it might be like David Cameron's support for Aston Villa or West Ham or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, when you did Desert Island Discs, did you pick those songs yourself or did you get a little help with them? I think I'd sort of... Uh, I got some help. Uh, uh, right. Let's, uh, please welcome onto the stage Deborah Annette and Jimmy Rotherham. So, Deborah, why don't we start with you? T- tell us a little bit about the Incorporated Society of Musicians and what you do in relation to this issue. Right. We've been going for a very long time, since 1882. And one of our founders was actually Edward Elgar. Right. So it's amazing to be here yeah. in the space of our, you know, the person yeah. who set us up, which is wonderful. And since 1882, we have been looking after the interests of professional musicians, campaigning for better terms and conditions because most musicians get exploited terribly and they really need all of our protection and support. But we've also been talking a lot since then around music education because right from the get-go, it was pretty grim. It got a bit better through most of the 20th century and then it kind of took a nosedive around 2010. Just tell us a little bit for those who don't know about how music education works in the UK in terms of what or other in England maybe about in schools I mean what's the what are the sort of requirements in schools what's compulsory what's optional and so on okay so we've got this thing called the national curriculum which all state schools theoretically have got to follow Um, but then the academies were set up and the academies were told that they didn't have to follow the national curriculum. And what that has meant is that um, 72% of secondary schools are now academies and a huge number of them have basically given up on the national curriculum, as have many primary schools. And music is part of the national curriculum. So if your school isn't obliged to follow it because it's now an academy, chances are it may disappear. And what we're seeing at Key Stage 3, as it's called, so it's the 12 to 14-year-olds in secondary schools, the majority of those are no longer studying music. And 50% of primary schools have lost their music as well. And, th- and that's because of cuts, is it? Cuts, but mainly, I'm afraid, it's the driver of the academies and also something called the EBAC, which I hope we're going to talk about, because um, unfortunately, the impact of the EBAC is to remove creative subjects in our in our schools because there isn't time for them because everybody's doing triple science or French or geography, huge amounts of geography, uh, maths and English and all the rest of it. And the EBAC is sort of a, about a core series of subjects which you have to do and, and basically art subjects aren't in the, aren't essentially not in the core. That's right. So back in 2010, when this idea came out of um, the Conservative government, um, music was there. In the first interview with Michael Gove, music was there. And then the second interview, it had disappeared. And it's been kind of falling through the cracks ever since, um, which has caused huge trauma in relation to what's going on in our secondary schools. You know, music teachers losing their jobs. Very often, a music department is now just one teacher in a secondary school. Um, and being timetabled off so definitely within key stage three you may only get one music lesson every term if you're lucky and can we talk a little bit about why it's important beyond just creating another yeah. Lennon McCartney and it being important well, to the economy important. that is important <laughs> but so more, more broadly why is music so important well I think music is part of being a human being 
you know? If you go back to the beginning of time, the dawn of time, caveman was in his cave drawing pictures of musical instruments, you know? And Plato, you know, the great god Plato, talked about music being absolutely fundamental to education. So it was going really well, you know, for a lot of ancient Greeks um, getting, you know, to grips with music. Um, And then we have, through recent times, government policy has very much been uh, embarking on this knowledge-focused way of schooling, which is basically sticking as much education in terms of facts and knowledge and content into into children's heads. Young people doing music GCSEs is, has fallen. It's yeah. pretty, it's like something like one in 20 or less. That's right. So since 2014, um, music GCSE has dropped 17%. Creative subjects as a whole have dropped 18%. And there is, just, just before we come to Jimmy, there is a sort of public-private issue here, which is, I think, your State of the Nation report showed that 85% of independent schools say they have a school orchestra, only 32% of state schools. So Absolutely. there's a big divide here. There's a huge divide. So if you think about music as being core to being a human being, and you really do want all children to be exposed to it, there's something fundamentally unfair about Eton having 100 visiting music teachers... 100. 100. That's outside of the music department, but 100 visiting music teachers in addition to that school department of music. Right. Whereas in most state schools, there's virtually nothing. So in terms of diversity and what the music industry is going to look like in the future, there is a real problem there that we're just going to have posh kids. Nothing against posh kids, but actually talent resides in anybody. It's not about class. So let, let's turn to, to Jimmy. You were the music coordinator, as I said in the introduction, at Feversham Primary Academy in Bradford. I mean, Jimmy, it's an extraordinary story. I mean, t- tell us sort of how you came to teach there and then what's happened. It is an extraordinary story, and I can't quite believe it myself. I'd actually given up teaching uh, about um, seven years ago. I'd, I'd, I was given more and more responsibilities, fewer and fewer hours to do it in, and that's a common experience for a lot of music teachers in school. In a sixth form college. Yeah. In a sixth form college, yeah. yeah. Um, they offered voluntary redundancies. I bit their hand off, and um, I decided to try and just be a professional musician for a while um started to and then i started to read about the incredible effects of music education on young children and i started to do a bit of um supply teaching in primary schools and i landed at feversham on supply um and i was just doing one afternoon a week and again it was quite typical of a lot of primary schools i was doing um just year five and six so there's no development um there was it was for the musical children rather than the and the non-musical children didn't get it. Um, luckily, we, there was a new head teacher um, who's from a Sufi Muslim background, and for him, music's one of the last connections we have to the, the spiritual in a secular society. Um, whereas for me, it was about the the incredible effects. Uh, for example, neuroscience studies have shown that. Learning music at an early age promotes structural and functional changes in the brain. Um, it helps children with a range of conditions like uh, dyslexia. Um, I've done some work with Katie Overy from Edinburgh University, who's shown that um, dyslexic children often struggle with um, rhythmic activities. And actually, if you can fix the rhythmic activities, um, 
it will have a positive effect on the literacy. So I read lots of lots of research like this um, and became very passionate about working with children as young as possible because um, I think that's where it makes the biggest difference. Um, and I told all this to the head teacher. He said, brilliant, I want to support it as much as possible. And he just said yes to everything I asked for. So um, we went from that situation to being really well stocked with with instruments. Um, I was given all the training I wanted to get, so I went to get um, Kadai training and, and Dal Crows. Where are we in the yeah. six-year journey? We were in special measures. Uh, we'd been in special measures for about 100 years uh, before that. We were founded in 1874, and right. we've basically been a, a failing school right. all of that time. Um, it's in um, an area of Bradford, which is 98% Pakistani Muslim, and also 98% of the children don't speak English as a first language. Language. Um, as I say, we were failing school in special measures, um, and then the more music we did, the more we saw the benefits. How much music do you now do in the school? We're now doing up to six or seven hours a week for every single child that wants it. Six uh, or seven hours a week? Yeah, as, a, as an offer. The, the, the core offer is about th- three hours, but they can opt into lots of extra things. And, how, and lots of clubs. them take it up? Yeah, yeah, huge numbers for choirs and drumming groups and things like that, plus a really strong uh, core offer of music. Um, and and what have the results been? Our results just went through the roof, absolutely through the roof. We were getting better SATS results than the private schools near us. We were getting, we we're in the top 1% of schools in the country for pupil progress now. Um, and this is another really powerful thing if you're working with uh, children who are learning English as an additional language. Um, again, lots of studies have shown that it's incredibly powerful in teaching them uh, the, the language skills that they need, especially through singing. It's, it's really, really powerful. So you've seen an absolute transformation in the it's school. It's been miraculous. And then when you see that with the children in my school, why isn't every child getting that? My story shouldn't be a story. It's someone who's been given the opportunity to teach music and, and supported, and the children will flourish. And you were one of the... Shortlisted for the top fifty for the 2019 Global Teacher Prize yeah. as, a re- as a result of this. Yeah, as a result of what you've done. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds extraordinary. Um, De- Deborah, sort of, what do we? We, we learn quite a lot from this, don't we? We do. I mean, actually, there's a huge amount of academic research out there, which absolutely underscores everything that Jimmy says. I mean, Jimmy's tale is very, very powerful, but there is stacks of research which says the same thing. There is something about music which transforms children. I think partly because it's a lot of fun. Actually, if it's done well, which Jimmy does, it's a lot of fun. And that's about, you know, kind of using your body, getting the rhythm, hearing the sounds, using Kadai, etc. when you're very, very young. And then you develop your ear. And once you've developed your ear, you can go absolutely anywhere. Now, we, we, you mentioned the Kadai. kadai. Mm-hmm. That is the method, correct? Yeah. yeah. Do you want to say something about the Kadai um, method? It's not exactly a method. It's right. more seen as an approach because it, right. it's, not, it's not a dictated methodology where one guy has said, this is what you will do. Yeah. Um, it's about... I learned the violin by the Suzuki method. <laughs> okay. Did you? Yeah. And how did you find that? I was terrible at the violin, <laughs> but uh, so I, I wasn't a great advert for the Suzuki <laughs> method. What, what, do, what, does a, what does one of your music lessons typically look like? Uh, nothing like what you'd expect a music lesson to look like. Lots of children running around, playing games, playing clapping mm-hmm. games. Um, 
but actually through playing those, the, the games serve two functions. One of them is in, in music we have to repeat things over and over and over again. And if you make it into games, it reverses that dynamic of the music teacher having to say, right, do it again. And yeah. all the children, oh, we've done it 79 times. It completely reverses that. So it's the children saying, can we do it again? Can we do it again? Can we do it again? Um, and it's the, the, the other very important aspect of the games is that they will actually learn music through embodied cognition. So we might be learning about three pitches. We will have the high pitch here, we'll have the middle pitch here, we'll have the low pitch here, and we'll play games that cement those, uh, that understanding of music through the games. And quite often when you've played those games, you can then move the children onto pianos and, and instruments and they can play it all. You don't need to spend any time with them showing them where the notes are. They just go and play it. Yeah. And the same with reading music and writing music. Um, and it's, it's, it's about developing the child holistically in terms of music, but also developing the child holistically in terms of the whole child. So we're looking to develop their language, their social skills, and, and the social dynamic, that element of, of the games is incredibly important. And, and how common is this teaching method in schools and... Well, unfortunately, an awful lot of primary schools have no music. You know, this is the problem because um, head teachers are very conscious of the targets that they have to meet, like SATs. And we've now got all the baseline assessment coming in as well. And what that means is that an awful lot of head teachers are really focusing on maths and English and science. So things like painting and music and all the good stuff that I did when I was at primary school has disappeared in an awful lot of places. So your school is very lucky to have you and to have a really insightful head teacher. But most schools are not like that. So it's just down to the fact, you know, you're lucky enough to have a school with a headmaster. and Who, and who is also brave and right. values music. Because I think the, the problem with, with all these accountability measures which have come out from the Department for Education, they have actually taken autonomy away from the head teachers instead of actually empowering them. And the teachers as and well. And the teachers, yeah. yeah. And so it's very, very prescriptive education policy. And that's why we see such dominance around the accountability measures, combined with, of course, the funding issue and the fact that we've got the academy change. But, but Jimmy, you're also saying you're a trained musician. Mm. Whereas sometimes people aren't taught by people who are trained musicians. In, in primary schools, I think there's a particular acute issue around training because um, most people will teach delivering music in primary schools are either trained as a secondary music teacher, so they don't really understand how to, they're trained to teach 12 to 18-year-olds. They don't know how to teach 5-year-olds. And I was the same when I started, and right. I recognised that I needed to learn child-friendly approaches. Um, so they're either secondary trained music teachers or the non-music specialists, general class teachers. And yeah. at the moment, general class teachers are given between something like one and six hours a week on the entire, sorry, not a week. No, on, the sorry, year. Uh, on their entire PGCE. Yeah. So in the entire year, they'll do maybe four or five hours of music. Yeah. Um, and then they're expected to go and deliver it in an outstanding way. Where is great? Finland, is that right? Finland is good. It has I a mean, surprise. It's obviously a long way away yeah. um, and interestingly um, in t- 
times gone past in the Far East, places like China and Singapore were really, really focused on things like uh, knowledge-based education. But then they realized that if they really wanted to have strong, sustainable economies, they needed to make sure that there was lots of creativity coming through their education system. So they've kind of moved increasingly into creative education whilst we've been moving in the opposite direction. And I think it's because they understand that one of the big things about the fourth industrial revolution is making sure that we can uh, create intellectual property that we can then exploit. So they're all ahead of the curve and we're somewhere back in the 20th century. If you look at what business is demanding now, um, so Paul Dressler, who was the head of the CBI, was saying we need creative, um, out-of-the-box thinkers in for the, for the new yeah. AI revolution, um, and even companies like Barclays Bank are saying we need yeah. more creative. We need more creativity for the people who are coming to yeah. work for us. And it's even worse problems. than that because I don't know if you saw that recent report from the Edge Foundation, but they were surgeons are saying that the students who turn up on their courses to learn how to cut you up and then sew you up, they don't have the dexterous skills, you know, the manual dexterity to sew you up. So they've had That's worrying. <laughs> so they've had to bring in seamstresses to show people how to sew. I know this is really scary stuff. Right. Um, so also there was a guy, a surgeon, who started playing the cello to give yeah, him that yeah, fine get, yeah. amount of skills. So all of all of our manual dexterity that comes through the creative subjects is no longer there. So it has all kinds of implications. Mm, we've got a few minutes for audience questions. Anyone want to talk about their experience of music education in schools? Ask any questions. My name's Everton Nelson. Hi. So I just wanted to ex- uh, explain my experience of the studio here, Abbey Road. So I led the soundtrack for Black Panther that was recorded in Studio One. Also for um, Captain America. I was taught peripatetically uh, mm-hmm. in Birmingham. I don't like to speak out publicly normally. Just hearing all these stories of what you've discussed tonight, this really speaks to me. And I just want to sort of say what I had as an experience as a child, my parents didn't have to pay for anything. Yeah. Yeah. If now I've got a, I've got a 16 year old daughter for her to have the same experience. I have to pay through the nose for that in terms of my experience here at the studio and everything else, how would that work nowadays to Very give good me the question. same experience, to, to give me the, 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 the chance now to be able to lead Hollywood films? What would you say to someone that's now 15? Good question. This is what you need to do. Absolutely. Um, so I went through the Perry system as well. So I learned... Just explain youth- what the system is. Perry system. Okay, so it's being taught by a peripatetic teacher right. who comes in from what was then, I suspect, the music service and was absolutely free. But now, because of funding pressures, if you want to learn an instrument in a, in a school, chances are you're going to have to pay for it. Your parent is going to have to pay for it. Chances are it's going to be extracurricular. So that immediately puts a pressure on lower income families. I mean, I think I'm right in saying, sorry to interrupt, but 89% of families have to make a personal Absolutely. contribution. Absolutely. Because the music education hubs are not properly funded. And indeed, at the moment, there is no financial settlement for them from next March. Right. So we are potentially looking at thousands and thousands of peripatetic teachers losing their jobs so that, you know, you won't even be able to pay for it because the hub system will have crashed. 
Jimmy? I'm really glad you brought that up because it's a huge social justice issue. We mentioned before that, that children in private schools, 52% of private schools have a bespoke concert hall. And a study by the Musicians' Union showed that it, if you've got an income of less than 28000 the likelihood is your children are not going to get any music education lessons. It's just not an option for you at all. So if we don't make it happen in schools, in the mainstream lessons, not as an add-on... Absolutely. Unless we do that, we are creating a, a huge inequality in our society um, because the children in the private schools are getting all of these benefits we talked about earlier, and in, in the state school, children are not. So counterproductive for the country. Yeah, I mean, we totally. punch above our weight. Absolutely. So, in terms of GDP, uh, the music industry produces 4.5 billion a year. In terms of creative industries as a whole, it's about 100 billion, which is the same value as the construction industry or the banking sector. So it is madness. Yes. So uh, you talked about um, how the school moved up the lead table. I wonder if you could expand a bit more on that. And I was wondering whether the passion that the children found for music then improved their passion for school education in general and other subjects. Hi, my name's Matt. Um, I just wanted to wonder what your thoughts are where well, parents who send their kids to private school seem to value music a great deal. Those schools put it way up their agenda, but yet the government of the last few years has downgraded its importance. And that seems like a weird contradiction. So I was just wondering what your thoughts on that were. I think it's the, uh, Deborah was talking about the, the high stakes accountability of maths and English mm-hmm. in, in certainly in primary schools where, where I work. That's all that matters in, in the league tables and in the, um, you know, whether the head teacher is going to keep their job or not. Um, and it takes, like you were saying, it takes a very, very brave head teacher to say, I don't care about that. And we're going to give these children the education that they need. What, what about, you know, what's it done to the overall academic achievement, etc.? Yeah. So, um, I mean, the, the, the statistics speak for themselves. I mean, attendance is up from 92% to 98%. Um, the children are, are much happier. You can, you can see it going around school. Um, a good music program in a school can make school a really fun, mm. thrilling, exciting place to go to. And that's what our school's like. If you just came in, just the atmosphere is absolutely incredible. But when you said top 1% for progress, is that in music? No, that, sorry, the, that's the more top generally. 1% in, in all subjects. So, well, English and maths, basically. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's... I mean, so it's obviously had a knock-on effect. I mean, that's a, the big change has been... Yeah. I mean, you had a new head teacher and all that, but yeah. obviously this has contributed it's, to it. We, we know that rhythmic activities improve reading ability and spelling ability. We know that um, uh, and a lot of music activities involves uh, quick numeracy skills as well, rapid numeracy skills. Um, you, you're doing all kinds of things like rapid auditory processing, which is um, using the same parts of your brain that you use for speech and language. We've got autistic children in the school who I know for a fact would not speak if they didn't sing. They come to music lessons, they sing the heart out. Mm. before they speak and then over weeks we managed to turn that speaking into singing um so it's, it's vitally important for every single child in that school it's not just the the musicians and the musically talented uh, it is for them as well 
but it's for that that little child who um, might feel like they're not very good at maths and English, and that's all they get in schools. Can you imagine mm-hmm. being um, innumerate and yeah. having dyslexia? And you might be the best at football, you might be the best at, at music, you might be the best at drama, uh, public speaking, all these things that you're not getting to do. So loads of children are feeling like failures in mm-hmm. their schools. It's having a And it's storing up self-esteem. problems with mental health. Hugely. And yeah. just coming back to that question about public schools, I mean, it is a bit of a conundrum because public schools use music yeah. as a way of getting children in. It's a marketing tool because they know parents really value it. And recent... Um, um, research from Ofsted found that 68% of parents didn't believe their children were getting enough music in school. So parents want it. And what, I mean, you know, just, I don't want to put you you in the mind of Nick Gibb, the schools minister, uh, or, or, or Michael Gibb, but, but I mean, wh- why? Why? I, I mean, think, that was the question. In a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, I mean, I don't want to get too kind of uh, into knocking the DFE, but I do think this is about importing an ideology from America. It's come from America. Right. And it's about making sure that all of our kids' heads are filled with the same stuff in order to ensure that there is something called cultural literacy. And the things that have been selected are the things that basically were back in the 1904 school regulations, only they had art then, and they've dropped that since 1904. So it's very much about um, shifting the entire way that education works. So it's about facts rather than problem solving and creativity. And it's not based on the individual needs of the child. It's based very much on trying to get to a communal way of thinking and being. And I think that is profoundly troubling because it means it's taking away the ability to think. And more than anything, as a child, you need to learn how to think. Oh, hi, my name's Steve. Um, I just wanted to give it a tiny flavour on something, which is at secondary schools, when you talk about the EBAC, the thing that you also want to be aware of is that English and maths are double weighted. So when they talk about yes. the best eight, yes. actually, yes. English and maths are double weighted, which means that from a school standpoint... Yes. It, I'm not saying it is important, more important, but actually, effectively, for league tables and all that kind of thing, it becomes more important. Absolutely. And one of the first... It's like playing your joker on it's a knockout. Yeah, yes. exactly. And one of the first... Uh, that's a pretty good way of putting it, I suppose. Sorry. One of the, and, no, and one of the first sort of um, academy chains that did that, they actually shifted to do English and maths every day. So you, had mm. to, you went to five hours a week English, five hours a week of maths. Mm. So therefore, something had to give. And if you're only having to teach eight subjects the arts went and what they did is curriculum wise is they actually put all the art subjects in the same option box that's right which means that mm. kids then couldn't select mm. more than one do you teach I, I used to yeah but not um, i used to teach maths. So it's a high class audience this audience uh yes <laughs> hi i'm ros and um, just wanted to pick up on something that uh, deborah mentioned about problem solving skills i work in a university and um we're hearing from a lot of employers that graduates leaving university aren't coming with the skills for mm-hmm. not just learning uh, or knowledge about their one specific subject but the skills to learn and that's the kind of thing that I've been lucky enough to learn with music and the problem solving ability and not just knowing your subject but knowing how to solve a problem along with other people from different disciplines is massively lacking and that's something we you have did to music up. in school I did yeah I did music in school GCSE and A level yeah and what do you do now sorry I work in the university library Right. Uh, running technology events for but students. It's really helped staff. you 
Yeah, it really has. But what we're hearing from from um, employers yeah. is that it's that's just not a skill that is is coming through. And it seems like we've missed. We're going to be missing a few generations, even if we solve the problem now. It's still going to be lacking for them. Great, great point. And there were two. I think there were two two hands. Were there one hand? Um, I had um, a question about. Um, if, if we're kind of seeing the success in, in your school um, within the current restraints that are, are kind of imposed on primary schools, how do we um, take what you've learned and how you've managed to succeed even within that system and spread and scale that to other primary schools or other secondary schools and um, kind of working within those constraints and seeing the successes that you're seeing? Good. Well, that's a good. And, and do you want to ask your? I think it fits into the Jeffocracy, doesn't it? Yeah. So we have a thing on the podcast where I am installed as uh, some some kind of benign ruler of uh, the the country, if not the world. <laughs> I'm very uh, very hands off. So yeah. if I was just to delegate uh, delegate and make you some kind of joint minister for education and minister for mm-hmm. culture, what 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 is uh, the the thing that you would do? And maybe you can answer the sort of spreading the practice. I mean, that, that's really yeah. it's in a way. I think what will occur to lots of people is how do you get Jimmy to exist in every school well i mean we did talk about cloning jimmy um before the program but i think we'd need to clone his head teacher as well because it does come down to the head teacher being brave but i would also just mention academy chains because an awful lot of schools now within academy chains the policy is coming from the chief executive of that trust and the head teacher no longer has the um power to set what goes on in their schools. And we're hearing from academy chains that they're pushing music out of their schools and they're also looking for unqualified music but teachers. But isn't Steve's point right? Is it Steve? Yeah, uh, point right, which is if you change the sort of Absolutely. it's a knockout sort yep. of, you know, business uh, and the way it's... Yep. I mean, you could immediately have an effect. Even Absolutely. I mean, this comes back again and again to the pernicious impact of the eback, and we run um, a, a campaign called Back for the Future. You'll find it out there on the internet. It's got hundreds and hundreds. I think it's got forty-five thousand supporters, and we've generated Westminster Hall debates as a result of it. And I know it seems like a really uphill struggle, but if you care about music education, you have to make your voice vocal. Really good. Yeah, um, I'm disqualified from being education secretary because I've worked in education. <laughs> so that's the, yeah. uh, <clears throat> that's that. very true. Yeah. That is very true. Music should be recognised as vitally important for the development of all children, for their academic progress, for their well-being, for their mental health. Um, but it, it needs. I think there needs to be a shift in in thinking to recognise that it's just as important a subject as maths and English, and we need child-friendly pedagogy which allows children to learn in in a way that suits them um the the typical thing of of being uh, most most people's memories of being of music lessons in school is your teacher giving you something that you don't understand and then telling them telling you off for every mistake you make it's no wonder so few people call themselves musicians we should all be calling ourselves musicians we're all musical babies are all musical start them teaching even me even you i went to karaoke with ed and he did a very good rendition of (laughs) je ne regret rien I i think you're being very nice um, but but also, school- <laughs> I've got the image in my head. Yeah. Um, but school, I, I can't dis- get it out of my I'm head. I'm getting the tapes destroyed. Actually, um, so we need much more sustained training for for the people who are going to be delivering this, whether they be secondary music teachers who need to learn how to teach it in primary schools, or whether they be um, generalist class teachers. Can I just add one thing? I would like to do if I were, you know, kind of in charge of everything, I would send the entire cabinet back to secondary school 
and force them to do the EBAC. Yeah. Without any creative subjects whatsoever. Should we just send the cabinet back to secondary school and leave it there? Yeah. Well, look, I think it's incredibly inspiring. I mean, we should also say that you know this is a big interest of Universal Music, which is one of the reasons that we've um, that we've been talking about it today. But I think it's an interest of everyone. I think you've been absolutely brilliant. I think it's really both of you really really inspiring. I, I think we need to sort of you know to rise up and absolutely. you know change this absolutely because i think it's so important for every child in this country and so important for the future of the country deborah nets jimmy rotherham thank you very much thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's welcome onto the stage for a chat, Rebecca Lucy Taylor, Giles Martin, and Katie Tunstall. Thank you, thank you all for uh, for coming tonight. What what was music education like at school for you then? Really vital. That's like really uh, touched a nerve with me because I had a teacher called Mr. Wright who was. If I'd not had him, my life would be completely different because I couldn't. I was dreadful at maths, like hysterical in maths, crying because I couldn't do it, and I then my respite from science and all that sort of thing was. I got to play the drums and I got to sing in choirs and things and. Uh, when I when I was leaving school it was like you've got to go to uni and I tried to go and do I was like okay I'll go and do English lit (laughs) but I shouldn't have done that and I didn't and I it took a lot of like bravery to choose to to go and do music and I had a really beautiful education based around the music department was it just lucky and was just I'm just lucky there was like there was two teachers there that were and they would step now when I think about it they stayed behind every night so I to help me learn to singing and we did show after show and they cared about uh, how we were and they they weren't getting paid for that like have such a similar thing of like I was lucky how about you Katie yeah, I was the same. Just uh, it wasn't a question of whether you'd have music at school or not. It's a given. Um, we had a music department. There was a piano. There was instruments. We were asked. So I started piano lessons actually outside of school 
Um, I don't, I can't remember if there were piano lessons. It's not sure, but I started at four. I was like, you know, hassling my parents to start those lessons really young. So I started outside of school, but the, 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 the school music department was phenomenal. I started flute lessons, I think at uh, 10 or 11 or something. Ended up doing, um, music into my hires, ended up studying music at college. Um, totally intrinsic part of not just my education, but my sanity. It's, it's, um, and since, since, you know, going through that education system, I've seen various different examples of how it's working within schools. And the one thing that I've really noticed when I see younger kids engaging in music education is they're venting. A lot of the time they're emotionally venting in a music lesson or in a drama lesson. There's a lot of drama, <laughs> you know? Um, but I think that all of these cognitive skills are essential in a, being a well-rounded emotional human being, but also, you know, from the beginning of school at four or five years old up until you're 18, this is an incredibly emotionally taxing time as a human being. And the other thing that you're not getting to taught really within the current school curriculum and, and never really have is how to express yourself, how to tell people how you feel. Yeah. You're just told what you should know, how you should use that, yeah. what you should be doing. No one's actually telling you. I wish at school I'd been taught how to express being angry about something, but without being out of control. And music, I think, is a really, really important way of kids to get some stuff out of their system and express themselves in terms of how they feel. Charles, I'm actually slightly different for you because by the time you were born, your dad is this extremely successful figure in the music industry. So is music just something you took for granted in your house or was it the other way? You never heard a note of it. Well, I've been established right now a posh kid. So, um, <laughs> so I did have... I did have, it was different. I mean, my, um, my, my father being a, you know, a renowned musician, uh, he was dead against me doing music. I don't know why. He just, he just, he thought I should get a proper job. So, he'd so, been around musicians. Yeah, been around, he met musicians. He led a lot of them. But it's funny. I went from a little farming school to a, to a, a posh boarding school, a, a boys public school. And, um, I had a bit of a, I had a West Country accent which is hard to believe, but I had a slightly West Grape and spoke a bit like that. And and I went to the school and I was mercilessly bullied for a year. And I really didn't know where to go because cause it's funny, you, you, you're, you're, you're locked away. And But we, because it was a it was a private school, we had piano rooms. And I went to I went to piano rooms. And that's, that's right. Well, that was where I basically escaped to. And exactly what Katie's saying, and I say this to, to parents of kids who ask about music, is like, an instrument has to become your friend. It has to become something you can talk to. And it was, it was where I would go. It was, it was my... And if you don't have that as a child, if you don't have that outlet, if you can't, you know, I was like dyspraxic. You know, I had difficulty looking at Blackboard and writing things down, things like that. And as soon as I got into learning chord structures, harmonics, all this stuff, I became good at physics and good at maths because they're linked, they're linked together. And that's the thing about people write off musicians as it's another world, another planet, but it's the heartbeat of our lives and the way frequencies interact with each other is, is what happens around the planet every day and that's music 
And so I was incredibly lucky. And I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't have had that. So, you know, almost, you know, from the other way looking in, it was fundamental to me to have an instrument nearby. Can we talk a little bit about this place? So Katie, how, how is it different to other studios? Because it, it just s- smells different. It feels different when you walk in this place. You get a sense of the history. What What is it compared to other places that you've worked around the world? Well, the thing that is obvious probably for everyone is connected to what you said, does, which is, which is that it, it smells of science in here. If my dad was a physicist and he would take us to his lab all the time as kids and we'd play with all these, you weren't meant to touch anything. We would play with all this equipment. It'd all be, you know, warm wires and warm, warm machines, whirring and specially treated rooms for, to create the right environment. And, um, and it smells the same as Abbey Road. Um, other studios don't smell like this, by the way. This is definitely special, but it's because it's so old and it's because it, I think, understands it doesn't need to revamp. It doesn't need to, you know, redecorate. This is why it's so good. And, you know, very old instruments as well. But, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, 50s, when it was all burgeoning uh, recording studios, the the recording engineers did wear lab coats. They wore white coats mm. because they were scientists and musicians making records. There is science involved all the time in what they're doing. And even if you don't understand the academic science of it, as a musician, when you're writing songs, I mean, you know this, it, sometimes you'll write something and it makes you cry. Sometimes you'll do something in a key and you're like, I don't like it. And then you change the key and you go, whoa, boom, you feel it. There's a frequency communication with music. And I think that um, there is a respect of not the new and the shiny and the modern and the contemporary and renewing, renewing, renewing in here. There's a respect of work rather than stuff. And I really like that about here. Charles, do you wish they'd give you a white lab coat? Have you asked for one? Well, I, I would, but producers wore suits. Oh, so there was a yeah, hierarchy, so, dress yeah, code hierarchy. Yeah, there was, yeah, my, so, yeah my, my dad would wear a suit and tie and engineers wear lab coats. And I mean, when the, you know, we're in Studio 2 now and, and um, you know, we're facing the door the Beatles came through and... and and my father had been upstairs and on the, on the window looking down. It's unusual the studio. It's on two floors. And the band wasn't allowed upstairs. The people in the lab coast would be up there. They'd come in and they, only if they were invited, but they'd be able to listen to. But going back, my father started here. They would have the guys with lab coats. He would be in this room and his job was to work out how much music you could fit into a disc. And they would drop away from the ceiling and engrave a record. And the guys in lab clothes would be able to tell it was a good recording just purely by looking at the record because they couldn't play it back. It would have to be printed and then three days later it would come back. And you're absolutely right. It's, there's, there's a, you know, I, I think, you know, turning things on its head, I think you can make physics and maths more interesting to kids by applying music to them. I think there's, I think it's, I think it's a, you know, you, you, can, you can apply R in English. There's, 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 we are too rigid in the way we educate our kids. And it doesn't let... Um, kids who think differently in to the curriculum. Curricul- 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 it I kind of feels it. a bit deliberate, though, doesn't it? 
I mean, it's not a coincidence that the education system is creating a non-thinking workforce. People who make creative art are often rebelling, bucking against trends, asking for change, pushing towards things being different and usually upsetting the status quo. So it's pretty sinister, I think, actually, that this is happening. I mean, there is a sort of paradox here, isn't there? I was just thinking about it. I think I'm right in saying that one in eight albums sold worldwide are by UK artists. So uh, Five of the top ten touring acts in the world are from the UK. So we sort of punch massively above our weight, yeah. you know, to, to be sort of, to, to, to kind of get kind of heavy about it. It's kind of good for capitalism, this. In other words, you know, it sells records and all that. And yet, and yet something about it is sort of, you know, you've got uh, in the school system, as we've heard, there's something deeply ideological about it because it's like, why, you know, yeah. if we were, if this was like something we were crap at as a country, you'd say, well, okay, something, not something that we're good at as a country, you know, <laughs> you know, you'd still say we should be encouraging it, but, but it's sort of even doubly sort of bizarre. I mean, it's intrinsically the right thing to do, but it's also even a good thing to do from the point yeah. of view, just simply the bottom line. Be able to think, Differently and, 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 and everyone having different skill sets and everyone having to be able to communicate differently is a, is a good thing. I mean, if you come from a music background or an arts background or a science background and you put them in a room together, they're going to do good things. If everyone's in the same background and the most interesting, yeah. some of the most interesting, uh, I mean, I, I've done video games. The most interesting video game programmers are clarinets, you know, play the clarinet really well. You know, there, it's a, it, there is a, there's, there's a mix with everything. And I think that's the, I think, Open-mindedness is a, is a great thing to teach for schools. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why, why not support something that is good for the economy, good for mental health, good for societal health? I, was, I basically spent my 20s dodging the system to get 52 quid a week and get my housing benefit paid. I got a deal at yeah. 29 yeah. and I ended up paying millions of pounds in tax yeah. that I never would have earned if I hadn't pursued life as a musician, but it was bloody hard to get there. There was no support whatsoever to do it professionally. And I've, I've paid back countless more pounds than I would have done if I'd done anything else. I don't think people think of, and and certainly, you know, in my people didn't think of the music industry and even, you know, my dad and his experience, but people forget about the everything surrounding the music industry. You know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that's powered by, you know, you guys go on tour. Think about how many people, you know, from T-shirt oh. manufacturers to people doing monitors, sound, promotion, Ticket sales, buying tickets. There's a, there's a, there's a, it's, it's a, it's a big industry. Maybe it's because I've got current events on my mind, but I mean, you do sort of begin to wonder whether it's just to do with whether you want to live in the early 20th century or the 21st century. Uh, and you know, if you think everything was better sort of 50 or 100 years ago when you people were taught in a much less, you know, in, in a, as we heard in a totally different, with a totally different set of requirements for what's, for what's needed. I, th- I fear. But anyway, it's got to change. The one thing I wanted to add as well is that I talk a lot, I'm sure you do as well, Rebecca, but talk a lot to people after shows. And the overwhelming message that you get from fans is that song got me through this. Exactly. Right. And without that, 
Yeah. So, I mean, you just hear the most unbelievable stories of hardship. And it's not Prozac getting people through. It's music a lot of the time. And my God, that's a better way to get through something than drugs, mm-hmm. you know, or booze or whatever. But people... It, there's a medicinal quality mm-hmm. to music, not just as a listener, but as a participant and as a, you don't have to be pre- professional. And a lot of people say to me, oh, I'm too old um, and I just want to shake them. I'm like, you're never too old. What do you want to do? You don't want to be a professional musician, but to sit at home and just be able to play your favorite song mm-hmm. is medicine, mm-hmm. medicine. You're saying I'm not too old. Casey. You're not too old, Ed. I would yeah. produce your album. Far from it. Yeah, pick that violin no. back up again. I Imagine that record, actually. I'm quite traumatised by my time playing the violin. <laughs> it got to the stage where basically, <laughs> sorry, just sort of now, I'm going to sort of relive the trauma. <laughs> it got to the stage where basically I said to my mum, so I started at the age of seven playing the Suzuki method. Well, I was living in America, and the only thing I remember about the Suzuki method was that you used to have to bow and say, Ohio gozai imas, <laughs> which was some kind of a greeting in Japanese. Yeah. I guess. Uh, and then basically I was really bad at it. And then at the age of 11, I said to my mother, you know, I, I think I'm going to give up the violin, mum. And she said, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> uh, got time to do questions? Yes. Any questions for Katie or Rebecca or Giles? So you, I guess a few of you mentioned that there are there isn't much support for aspiring musicians. And I guess I just wondered... Going back to the Jeffocracy, what would you implement to provide that support? Oh, good question. Probably not even implement fact-based knowledge teaching in school until you're about 12. Yeah. I think it should all be creative thinking, creative arts, uh, communication, developing as a decent human being. And then once your brain is actually in a place to engage, be interested by and understand fact-based knowledge, then you bring that in. But I don't think that that should be how you start your education. And what about supporting people who are wanting to become musicians and a... That is well, France, don't they, that we heard about on the podcast once? Oh, yeah, you get a stipend. Yeah, it's great if you're yeah. French. Yeah, what, you can tour you, forever. <laughs> why, why is that? Because they help you financially. Yeah, you do. You get a sort of certain... Like, it's yeah. like a basic income you get yeah. if you're... Daft Punk. Yeah. For example. Yeah. They're a band. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got cool that. guys over there. I would implement karaoke after work. <laughs> I think that's a vibe. Cause I, I noticed like, you know, like laddie bands, um, that are huge at festivals, like huge, fe- like I, um, obviously I'm, I'm involved in a lot of conversations about women being booked on festivals and the 50 50 thing and how impossible it is. But when you see what festivals are, they are men who don't get to sing in their lives and when they can go and go and that's a release for them and then it's freedom yeah I get it was it it Chelsea Dagger by the Fratelli yeah yes (laughs) but that's why the Fratellis will eternally make more money than me no matter how much I think about what I'm making and how much I try because no I I don't really know my point but I I think like implementing uh, the singing is a therapy and and you're, I guess now, made to believe that it's just stupid and silly and embarrassing. And I think if you can't do it, you shouldn't do and it. And if you think you can't, going back to your point, if you think you can't sing, you, as I do, you sort of think, oh, I don't, you know, I don't really want to try. to carry a yeah, right. But why, but why do you think that? You think that because you've been told that you can't sing. Yeah, probably. You've right. gone through a system that said, unless you reach this criteria, you can't sing. So get rid of that. 
and the, and the, and it's been a reward. It's been rewarded by by TV shows and 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 things like that. Like I, as much as I would like love that X Factor judging job. By the way, yeah, uh, I think it's ruined it for everyone. I'm constantly asked by people who don't understand what I'm doing. When, when are you going to go on? a talent show on the TV. And it's so ironic. It's like, it, it was called the X factor and it's like the thing that almost none of them have <laughs> because it's like you go into a classroom in Britain and the boys are going to be shyer, but probably half the girls are quite good singers. Yeah. Right. Kids are quite good singers. Right. People are quite good singers. Yeah. We're human beings with larynxes mm. and we like music. So we listen to music and your ear becomes accustomed to music. But, you know, you look at the, the people. I love Tom Waits. I love Bob Dylan. They're not very, Madonna's not a very good singer. Yeah. It's the X factor that makes them amazing. But, it, but also those, those, all of those programs, what they sort of, it, they initially started to prove that anyone can do, anyone could be a massive star. And what actually they prove is, is that not everyone can be a massive star, obviously, because very few massive stars come out of those programs, if any. But, what one thing it is, it shows that everyone should sing. Everyone, like, the, exactly what you're saying is like, when people go, you know, I'm too old to learn an instrument. I mean, you know, if we want to keep a family, maybe piano, not violin, would be a better idea. But, but it's, but it's, it's, it's true. Anyone can, you know, you can. It's just, in, it's everyone's right to be able to sing or yeah. be able to play an instrument. It is a good thing about the internet as well that you can now find a plethora of uh, instrument lessons online for free. And I think that's, definitely a really good leveler and should be really encouraged I mean, that should be my resolution it. yeah yeah you should do it i'll think about what it could be like that michelle what's his name when you learn what's his name the language guy because you you listen you learn with someone else who's on the recording it could be learn an instrument with ed oh. so you learn it at the same time and the idea and is what? that you do much you better than first. the other person so you yeah, we're going to go really into partnership. Bad. We're going to go into partnership. Yeah, I think you it's better be than the make your own it. sandwich shop idea that I had as well. <laughs> well, pick an instrument, give it six months, and then Giles will book in a recording session with you. <laughs> right. okay. I, th- I think theremin, Giles. Can you yeah. imagine Ed playing a theremin? Yeah, Ed's theremin album is is one of the world. The world's yes. waiting for that. <laughs> you might get a Mercury now. You'll explain to me that what all that means later on. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for coming up and chatting to us, Rebecca Lucy Taylor from Self Esteem. Giles Martin and Katie Tunstall I would really like to thank uh, Deborah Annettes and Jimmy Rotherham again please big round of applause I think we'd like to thank Universal Music. Yeah, thank you so much for uni- to we Universal love Music. Universal they they music. gave us this studio. You can't usually come in here as a member of the public. I've, I've tried on many occasions and been thwarted. And I think we should uh, say particularly to David Joseph, who runs Universal Music, who sort of listened to our podcast some you know, right at the early stages, and and you know this is what and it led to this. So so thank you to him. Thank you to Universal. <laughs> 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.